turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy. And I'm the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. I'm joined here uh, by Selfo with Stephen Hill. Steve, you're in Oklahoma, right? Yes, sir. All right. Hey, what, tell me about the your home congregation out there. Well, it is here in Lawton, right near Fort Sill, the Army post here. And it is uh, one of four congregations in this town. Not the largest one, uh, but it is on the east side of town, and we have three good, solid elders and two good deacons, and I'm privileged to be able to minister here and have been for almost four full years now. Oh, man, yeah, and you got a lot of good works going on out there. I know you have, uh, you guys work on, is it Searching the Scripture, right, uh, a workshop you, you uh, host each year? Yes, there's a workshop, Searching the Scripture, where Guy Orbison Jr. comes, and uh, we meet at a camp near Lake Texoma, and that's in about third week of April. And that is one of the things that we're involved with, and we're very thankful that Guy is willing to uh, come and speak and, and be a part of that so that we can host it. Okay. Oh, man, that's yeah, a lot, lot of good things happening out there. We're always uh, pleased to have guests here on the program. Thank you, Steve, for being on here. Uh, we were going to be taking a look at uh, the next section of Philippians for all of our listeners out there, but Sage who was going to be dealing with that text, he, he couldn't make it today. So Stephen and I are going to deal with the topic of gun control. Oh, man, that is out there in the news. Uh, again, it, it just seems like every year, uh, Stephen, we have another mass shooting. I mean, not just another, I mean, just more and more and more. I, I heard or read in the news that during, for example, the uh, um, Obama administration, there were 26 mass shootings. I think a mass shooting is when they kill six or ten or more people is considered a mass shooting and I think they're up to something like 16 or, or over 20 or something like that already in the Trump administration of, of mass shootings. It just, it's getting worse and worse out there. And um, I think whenever I, I see things like this and I see the news come out and everyone's talk, clamoring for gun control, I always wonder, you know, what does God have to say about this? Does, does God want us to impose gun control measures? Or maybe the question should be, does God want us to defend ourselves physically? And what, what are the arguments that are, are given in, in passages that deal with that? And so I, I went through and I, I pulled up a couple of passages here that I want to take a look at. And I think uh, it'll be a good discussion between myself and Stephen here. I, th- I know Steve will have good, good ones. But I want to deal with the very first one. That's going to be the obvious one that most people probably think of, and that's going to be Exodus chapter 20, 
verse 13. That's going to be where the Ten Commandments are in the Old Testament. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, and it simply says, You shall not murder. Now, I think the King James simply says, You shall not kill. And the debate there is, should it be murder, or should the word be kill? Because, you know, there's a difference. Murder is when you you premeditate, you go out there to, you want to kill this person, uh, uh, murder them. And kill simply can be, is more general, uh, uh, can be pretty much anything, whether it's in self-defense or not. Uh, that's that could be killing. You, you you know what I'm talking about there, Steve. I understand that that argument. Yes, and uh, and I think it should be murder. I think it's appropriately translated in in the New American Standard. Okay, so you're with, with murder. That's and then if that's true, that opens up the door. Um, I'm I haven't studied that one all the way through on that Hebrew word. If it's, it should be murder or should be killed or if it could be either or. Uh, you know, looking at it real quick on Lagos, it, it says uh, 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 the Brown and Driver says it could be kill, murder, strike down, or slay. Uh, I guess it all depends on context. I don't know, but there's there's so much more going on in the Bible than just that. Uh, right. When we look uh, over in Exodus chapter 22, just a couple of chapters over from there. Let me read this passage, and uh, let's uh, get your thoughts on this, Stephen, and I'll, I'll give my thoughts, too. Uh, it says in the New American Standard, If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall pay five oxen for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. If the thief is caught while breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there will be no blood guiltness on his account. Now, I want us to read verse 3 also, but let's deal with verse 2 first. So this is the law that God's given the Israelites. Here's what you, how you deal with this. If you got a thief, and he's caught while breaking into, apparently, his, your home, and you hit him, you strike him, and he dies, there's, there will be no blood guiltness on his account. The his being there, it's got to be the, the owner of the home. Now, that sounds right. like God's telling the Israelites, you can defend yourself, right? That's what it sounds like to me. I uh, think that's right. Yeah, and and then uh, uh, down verse 3, But if the sun has risen on him, there will be guilt, blood guiltness on his account. And it ends there. Now, that, that sounds like it's, it's daytime. Uh, and I've looked at several commentators, and, and they all seem to say if it's sun, the sun is up, and uh, the the, per, the owner of the home has opportunity to get help, drive the thief out, or he can see better, or whatever it might be, and he just kills this guy uh, with all the these other op- options on the table. Then he has blood gun. He's he's in trouble. This would be murder. It sounds like. Yeah, I think you're right. That's an interesting passage. I hadn't looked too close at it in the past. Yeah. So, and I, but that's a. a Interesting one, but I'm just hitting on all these because I know this has got to be in the minds of a lot of Christians. I, I'm I have I own guns. I got a couple of rifles. I have a couple of pistols. Uh, I believe I, it's okay for me to defend myself and my family. Uh, but now, with everything going on, what, what is what should be the Christian response? I mean, there's always the emotional response, right? Uh, we can all, we all have that that gut f- 
first response, but we need to step back and think about what's God's will in this situation. Um, we, we have to admit there does seem to be an excess of killing using firearms. That's obviously happening, and it's ramping up. Mm-hmm. It's getting worse. So what's the right solution? What's the right, right thing to do? I'm not wanting us to get into the politics of it here, but I want us to think about what is or what should be the Christian response to this. Now, we've looked at a couple of Old Testament passages there in Exodus uh, 20 and Exodus 20, 22. But let, let's bring ourselves over to uh, the New Testament. I have several passages there I want us to take a look at. And I want to start with, let's see, I got, um, let, let's start with Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verses 42 to 44. This is a, a parable that Jesus is giving. Um, and he talks to him about being ready for his coming. In let me just read the text. He says to his apostles, "Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this: that if he, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would have not allowed his house to be broken into." For this reason, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Now, clearly, Jesus is talking to his apostles about being ready for the second coming uh, when Christ returns. But he, Jesus likes to use uh, uh, par- uh, parallels that, that ties into life, things that people would understand. And he knew they would understand that. If you know there's a thief coming, would you not be ready for it and defend your home? And the obvious response that Jesus is looking for there is, of course you would. Of course you would. He expects them to do that. He's not condemning it at all. He's using an obvious uh, situation with an obvious resolution. You would defend yourself, right? I believe that's exactly right. He uses those illustrations in many passages, and this one has to do with a thief at night. And so uh, it's dark. The thief is operating under the cover of darkness, and he would be coming into the house, breaking in illegally, and uh, you would be in with your family, lights out, laying down, and someone's coming through the window, the obvious response is, if you're ready, uh, you're going to be able to take action against that individual. Yeah, I would I would defend my, my family. I'd defend my home. I think anybody, any reasonable thinking person would. That's, that's clear. That's right. God expects us to do that. And so now with that in mind, I want us to look at um, another passage that is uh, not controversial, but definitely uh, uh, differing opinions out there about what this passage means, and that's going to be over in Luke chapter 22. It's been easy up to this point. Pretty obvious answers. Luke 22, looking down at verse um, 35. and the, <clears throat> This is where the Lord is uh, t- gonna, talking to his disciples. He's about ready to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And so he knows, you know, that time is coming. It's going to be over. And so he says to the, the disciples, When I sent you out without money belt and bag and sandals, you did not lack anything, did you? They said, no, nothing. And he's talking about when he sent them out that limited commission. He wanted them to know that, look, I'm going to take care of you. Uh, it wasn't difficult when they were going out to the cities and, and preaching and preparing the people for the coming of Jesus. They were readily accepting uh, more, more often than not. It wasn't too much trouble for the disciples. They didn't, they didn't need those things, and God took care of them. Now, things are going to change. 
And so in verse 36, Jesus says, But now, whoever has a money belt is to take it along, likewise also a bag. And whoever has no sword is to sell his coat and buy one. For I tell you that this which is written must be fulfilled in me, and he was numbered with transgressors. For that which refers to me has its fulfillment. They said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. There are several ways people look at this, but predominantly the two main ones is, one group says this is uh, to be taken allegorically and spiritually, these things and the sword whatnot. And the other side, side says, no, Jesus is telling them, you can defend yourself. Now, I have my thoughts on this, and I can jump into mine first if you want, Stephen. But if you if you have a thought on this you want to jump into first, uh, go right ahead. I hope I'm not throwing this on you out of left field, but you got any thoughts? No. Well, I think that based in the context of the passage, he is speaking very tangibly about things that he had previously told them to go without. And he mentioned the money belt, the sandals. And there were physical, tangible things that they were to leave behind. And he wanted them to basically put their whole entire trust in Jesus while they're out there. And he providentially and probably miraculously took care of them. And now he says, okay, now you're going to take these things along with you, these physical, tangible objects. And so it doesn't seem likely that Jesus would be mentioning physical and tangible things and then throw in something metaphoric in that same listing. And so I would think the sword would also be uh, a real sword, a defensible weapon. Yeah, I I, I agree. I, I like the way you, you you worded that there at the end about, you know, if, if you're going to make the swords uh, uh, allegorical or something like that, uh, then you got to make all of it that way. And, you know, if, uh, mm-hmm. if that's true, then what's the money belt and what's the bag? Uh, and then why two <laughs> swords? And it's just, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit. Uh, he wants them to defend themselves. Now, so I agree with that. But here's the kicker: where, throughout the Book of Acts or any other letter, uh, do we see disciples defending themselves in a physical way like this? Do we see it happening at all? Written in the Scripture, I couldn't find anything. Mm. You know of any place? <laughs> no, I can't think of anything. Why not? Why don't we? Does that mean that we might be wrong in our interpretation of Luke chapter 22? I don't think that's what it means. Uh, I'm sure there's a different explanation. I'm not coming to it, but uh, well, I it, think it may be the, the yeah. No, I I think that it's because the the goal and focus of the scripture is to show us how to live the Christian life. It's not telling us here's how you uh, defend yourself in the physical world from things that that. Uh, 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 you know, people might be after you about for whatever reason stealing your stuff. That's not the goal there. The goal is here's the Christian life. If somebody is attacking you or trying to kill you because of your Christian faith, what should you do? Jesus told us what to do. You turn the other cheek. You let it happen. But that's different from those who are trying to rob you of your stuff. They don't care if you're a Christian or not. They just want your things. Uh, Paul talks right. about this. Let me turn over this passage in First Corinthians or Second Corinthians. I think that's it. Second Corinthians eleven twenty six around that area. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Oh yeah, where he's going in talking about all the things that's happened to him. 
And he says there in verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my country, from Gentiles. He's, he's had to deal with all these things and all these robberies and whatnot. Do you think he was out there traveling without some kind of protection? Especially from the robbers, especially when he had the money bag that he was he, he collected from all the Gentile congregations and taking that down to the Jerusalem church. Now, some people could say, well, God providentially or miraculously took care of them. But you know that's you can't you can't say that's always going to be the case. What about Epaphroditus when he went to minister to Paul while in prison? Epaphroditus was sick to the point of death. Why didn't Paul just miraculously heal him? That's not that's not the purpose and the goal of the miracles. So we don't know, but we do know he's dealt with these things. I think there's a good chance, and it's reasonable to think that he had a sword with him, and there was nothing wrong with it. The sword that Jesus was talking about in Luke chapter 22, that's the, the Greek word for the Roman short sword, and people had those things, and they were trying to defend themselves. Um, I, I just I, I look through out you know the book of Acts in the New Testament. Yeah, I don't see examples, but that's because we're looking at the spiritual life of the Christian. Now, does this mean is this answering the question that God is against gun control, or is is God want us to impose gun control? Does it answer that question in any way? You think? Well, I don't know if it answers that question exactly, but. Uh you know, just depending on limitations that people are putting on these things. But I think ultimately we all kind of can see the agenda based on history and where these ideas go. And ultimately they can't just take away all the guns. And so they have to begin introducing limited pieces of legislation in order to make regulations. And it eventually increasingly becomes more and more difficult for people to obtain these things, and then slowly but surely, two generations later, you know, there's less than half as many guns in the hands of the American populace. And so, it being with that being the you know agenda, uh, we we understand that, and so it it adds a, another dimension, I think, to uh, the whole the whole situation, really. Yeah, yeah, and you know, um, it just dawned on me. I kind of, sorry, I'm kind of backtracking here a little bit. And you're right, but we were talking about the two swords that Jesus told the disciples to pick up. And so that's in the book of Luke. That's right before the Garden of Gethsemane and before the mob came to get Jesus. So they found two swords. Jesus tells them that is enough. And what what happens? Well, they, they go to the, uh, the mob comes. And you remember in Matthew 26, what does Peter do when they try to arrest Jesus? What does Peter do? He cut off the high priest's slaves here. Yeah. And then Jesus rebukes him, right? Put your sword back into his place. For all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Now, wait a minute. But Jesus, you just told us to get a sword, right? (laughs) But not for this situation. Exactly. You're not thinking this through, Peter. This is supposed to happen. I've been trying to get you to understand this for a while. He, this is a spiritual matter that needs to happen. You're using the sword in the wrong way. We're not starting a war here. The sword is for you to defend yourself. Are you in danger, Peter? You're not. 
You let me mm-hmm. take care of this. And uh, I think that's I think, that's what's going on there. Go ahead. I think that, that also ties back to what Jesus said in, in John 18.36 when he was standing before Pilate. And uh, Pilate asked him if he was a king and was talking about it there. And he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting. Right. And Peter didn't didn't understand that. That's right, absolutely. And um, and, there, and there's a, a lot more I want us to, to take a look at. And first off, uh, yeah, I'll turn over there. Romans chapter 13. You probably knew I was going to go to this one. Everyone out there listening, Hi. this is uh, where Paul talks about being subject to governments. He says there, starting in verse one, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed uh, those they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it, that's the government, does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. So there God's ordaining that governments can have these weapons. And in the case of the Roman period and the New Testament Christians, could they have swords? Yeah. Jesus just told his disciples to get a couple swords, and they had them. And they weren't being arrested. It wasn't illegal for them. There was nothing wrong with that uh, for them to have, have those swords. So they could arm themselves. They could defend themselves. But they also had to be in subject to the government. What if Rome decided, you know what? We don't want anyone to have swords anymore. We're going to take them all. And you're a Christian, but you want to keep your sword. What should you do? Are you asking me? Yeah, I'm asking you. What should what would you what should you do I, if the government says to turn in all your swords? And uh, I yeah. think you need to submit to the governing authority. Yeah, I agree. Would you like that? No, I wouldn't. Neither would I. I don't want to give up my weapons, but I am not a citizen of this world. I'm a citizen okay. of heaven, and I'm going to do what God says before what my emotions. Tell me. You know, uh, we, we've looked at uh, the most important thing we need to think about is that 1 Corinthians 10 31 passage. Everything that we do, we ought to do to God's glory. And if I'm out there protesting and I'm getting angry and I'm brandishing my weapon and telling uh, the government, you come and try to take it from my dead gold hands or whatever, is that bringing glory to God? No. I don't think so. No. Do I want our government to take our weapons? No, I don't. Not at all. But nevertheless, if it comes down to it, and they say, you have to turn them in, and you claim to be a Christian, you better turn it in. That's the proper Christian response. It just That's just the way it is. One. You know, Chris. Go, uh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, it reminds me of the passage. You know, it's Jeremiah twenty-seven, and there's others in Jeremiah where uh, 
Jeremiah is prophesying, and he's telling, uh, I think it's Zedekiah, the king, and he's telling him that he needs to be willing to submit to Babylon who's coming. And Babylon's, you know, basically gained, uh, God allowed them to have the power over the nation. And, uh, and so they're in a situation where they're no longer going to be fighting against enemy forces, but they're now in a position where they must submit. And, um, you know, that's kind of the position that we're in. And if it ever gets to a place where the government uh, imposes something like that, as, as, you know, bad as that may be for us, uh, you know, we, we're in an obligation. And God took care of those who, uh, who were his people. I mean, we see Daniel and we see uh, his friends going into captivity and God still looking over them as they went into that circumstance. I'm, so, you know, I'm sorry. Their submission. I need to cut you out. Uh, I need to hurry up because we're running out of time. But I want to make one last point. Um, and I, I might be a little over. Hopefully the radio program is okay with that. You know, the last question I want us to look at is what causes mass shootings? And would removing the gun solve the issue? I'm just going to have to throw this out there quickly. We only got about 30 seconds. But in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 27, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. And then, for it's better for... uh, to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off. And the point, I, th- I think he's being sarcastic here, if you're a thief and you have a problem with stealing, would cutting your hands off solve your stealing? It would not. It's the heart no. that matters. Taking guns from people and f- is not going to solve the answer. It's changing the heart. If they can't use a gun, they'll use something else. We see that happening in Britain. They don't have access to too many guns, so what do they use? Knives and acid, uh, and uh, they're still killing people. But we're over time. We're at to bring it to a close. Thank you, Steve, for being here. Folks, I uh, hope you come back next week. Maybe Steve will come back and join us again. Love you all. Take care, and remember, make the most of every opportunity. Till the sinful world be won for Jehovah's mighty son. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.